to the Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And we have a very, very exciting episode for you today. Um, so today we are going to be talking about two uh, hot topics. Uh, the first one for appetizers is going to be about the first debates. It's a couple of weeks uh, late, but um, you haven't heard our takes on it, so I think it's still relevant. And our next and uh, entree topic is going to be all about gerrymandering and a little bit of the census. Uh, riveting. One of those things turned out well for us. The other thing, not so well. <laughs> yeah. Well, well we're, we're, I don't know about the census yet. I think we're, I'm hearing different things about it. <laughs> are people saying things else? People are saying, I see what you're hearing. People are saying so many I'm things. hearing people say so many great things about the <laughs> census. It's going to have the citizenship question, and I love it. Only citizens. Only citizens. Um, we're going to go into that because that, that's actually a really good conversation because um, I don't think it's super clear to people about the citizenship question and what it means. So, yeah. Um, so that's your pod today. Um, anything else you want to add, Josh? No. Uh, big stuff. I think the debate analysis is important and the gerrymandering and the census question, while maybe not the most... Uh, riveting subject is also very important for people to understand so they can be yeah. outraged so you can be outraged with us it could be one big outrage exactly one big outrage yeah um and so josh is going to have your pre-dinner shop question coming up in just a moment here is your pre-dinner shop question we only have one question today, so extra credit on my last one. So your previous talk question is, who is Elbridge Jerry, and what is he known for? Elbridge Jerry, spelled E-L-B-R-I-D-G-E, Jerry, G-E-R, sorry, G-E-R-R-Y. And what is he known for? So uh, you can either wait till you end the podcast, and we'll tell you the answer. Or if you're super eager, you can look it up. Or if you're super smart, you just know the answer right now. So either, either one is fine. Well, the appetizer is coming up next. Today's appetizer is all about the analysis from the debate. Okay, who did well, who didn't do well, who's crazy, uh, and all of that is coming up. There were two nights of debates. There was a Wednesday and a Thursday. We'll start with night one and move on to what I think was the more entertaining uh, night two. So night one, uh, I think your big winners were um, Warren and Castro were your two big winners. Um, I don't know who else do you think anyone else did well, but I think those are the two big winners. From night one, everyone says Booker did really well, but I actually, I don't think he did that well, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. So I agree yeah. with you. I think Warren and Castro did the best. Yeah. Well, so I think Warren did well because it was a slightly weaker field in the sense that Bernie wasn't there and Biden and all of them weren't there. Um, and, you know, Warren's big thing is that she's able to come up with plans, to the plan for everything. And she stuck to her guns. No one really attacked her, uh, which I think was really good for her. Um, and I think 
overall, you know, I think she kind of shied away a little bit in the end of the first night. But overall, uh, she laid out her plans to let, let people know what she stood for. And I think in the end, if that's what you want to tax you, that's a very solid night. Yeah, I, I think I think you're really right on that. Uh, the biggest mistake that I think everyone else made on that night was that no one attacked Lauren because she was the highest polling person on that night. So if you're not going to attack that person and you're just going to let them slide, they're going to have a great night because she she did what she needed to do. She she said a couple of really good things. Um, and the other candidates on the stage just wanted to get noticed. So if no one's attacking her, she's winning. Exactly. If, uh, I think, you know, we say it was a weaker field because there was people trying to get their, their name out, out there. And if that's what you're trying to do, then uh, you're not going to attack Warren and she's going to be able to just to, just to give people a quick uh, reminder. On the debate stage for night one, you had Cory Booker, Better O'Rourke, Warren, Julian Castro, Amy Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, John uh, Delaney, Jay, Ins- uh, Jay Inslee, and uh, Bill de Blasio. Was so, I on the debate stage too? I don't you remember at this point. You were not on the debate stage. You oh, I was in the Russian meeting, not on the debate <laughs> stage. I confused you. Yeah, well, hey, I think the Russian debate tape is going to air tomorrow. So maybe we'll be coming in to you. Excellent. Um, the other person who did well, I think, was uh, Julian Castro, mostly because people were interested to see kind of who is this guy. He's kind of attacking Beto. We'll get into that a little bit. Um, uh, I think he also spoke some Spanish, which was uh, well received in Miami. And he uh, did a very good job talking about immigration. Uh, and was very strong on that. It was really uh, the highlight where he talked about um, how you deal with illegal immigration and uh, how uh, in Texas, Beto was, wasn't, uh, wasn't taking as strong of a stance as, as he could have. And he came out, and, and if you attack, it can either go very well or it can end poorly. Castro ended very, very well for him. Uh, he was one of the top speakers of the night. Um, and people really were interested in who this guy was. He's a former HUD secretary under President Obama. Uh, and his name was, I think, a top name Googled after the first night. So he definitely got his name ID out there. It was good for his name ID and, and honestly good for people donating a million dollars to his campaign after, after the debates. And normally that would be a lot of money. And it really is a lot of money. But the fact is, all of these all these candidates are raising humongous sums of money, and a million is, in in you to me, uh, in normal person terms, that's a ton of money yeah. to raise. And for any nonprofit, that's a ton of money to raise. For a political candidate right now, I mean, Pete Buttigieg just just cleared twenty four million. Uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, Kamala Harris cleared twelve million. So one million online is good for him and. And, and making sure his campaign gets to the next debate. But but in terms of other stuff, you know, he got his name out. Right. I think the Castro campaign would say, um, you know, people didn't know who I was and getting a million dollars afterwards. It's all about building this momentum moving forward. And in the it'll be very interesting to see how he does in the second debate. He has a lot riding because if he can keep that wave going, that's really good for him. It kind of just cracked. Um so those were your winners. Um, I don't know if there was really a loser. Um, people, I think uh, uh, people. I think Beto O'Rourke struggled heavily. Um, 
I think that it was his first time with a national audience, Steve Darling candidates who had this great Senate run against Ted Cruz, and people are tuning in to see what is he all about. And then he gets up there, and he kind of stumbles through some answers. His Spanish kind of came off uh, not very well. Cory Booker looked at him like he had seven heads um, when he started speaking Spanish. Um, so, in, in, you know, I think he struggled a little bit. It wasn't certainly a war debate for him, but I think people were disappointed that he didn't have responses. Everything seemed to kind of practice. And I think he's much better when he can just kind of go off the cuff. Like when he, he answered the question about the football players kneeling, uh, that kind of sparked him. And that was kind of off the cuff uh, response. Um, his, his charisma that he's known for on the campaign trail, just I, I think he was just too prepared and too, maybe he was a little nervous yeah. and that's fine. But uh, it was, it was lacking on, you know, they say that having some nerves and everything is, is good to an extent. I think um, better work kind of showed, you know, I got to be a little more prepared. If people are going to attack you, I think someone like Julian Castro, who is in the second tier, or really the third tier, is trying to get to Beto's percent. And so, you know, you have two Texans going at it, and it's uh, it's going to, you know, someone's going to struggle, and that was him. What happens when two Texans walk into a debate stage? Uh, they argue about immigration. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they argue about Section 13 something. <laughs> of the Some complicated Section 13 thing that no one's really going to care about in the end. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was night one. Uh, night two would give you uh, the reminder of who's on the stage earlier this time. Night two, you had uh, Joe Biden. You had Kamala Harris, you had Bernie Sanders, you had Pete Buttigieg, you had Michael Bennett, you had Kirsten Job, John Hickenlooper, Marianne Williamson. Uh, we'll get there. Couldn't say it all in <laughs> one breath, could you? <laughs> uh, Eric Swalwell and Andrew Yang. People who had great nights. Uh, I think Kamala and uh, Pete, Mayor Pete, both had really strong nights. I mean, Kamala showed a New York, uh, um, a San Francisco uh, prosecutor. She showed how she's able to go into people and just kind of pick apart their argument and just kind of really burn people. Uh, she had the one-liners, even though they were rehearsed. She had them in the right time. They were perfectly kind of positioned. And, you know, I think she came away. People were like, okay, this Kamala Harris person, she is pretty legit, which involved in politics knew that already. They knew that she was very, a very strong candidate. But I think to the average Democrat, they don't really know. Um, that and she, yeah, yeah she, she had a great night. Um, her fundraising went up. She, some of the post polls uh, or the post debate polls had her in first place, had her in second place. She really made a huge leap. <clears throat> she, def- she definitely didn't. And um, that attack on yeah. Biden about busing and I don't first of all uh, two things about that I don't mind that was rehearsed I think it's fine uh, that she rehearsed it she had no idea he could have deflected that attack he could have deflected that and you know the shirts that she prepared would never have sold right or I bet they said they just had the printer on standby and said okay we're placing the order for these go Um, but I think it was more about how Biden responded it was like it was an interesting attack because busing, as far as I'm aware, which I could be very wrong, busing's not really an issue anymore, um, or it used to be, but maybe not so much now. But um, 
he he just didn't respond the right way. He responded so poorly and so unprepared and so almost stubborn yeah. that you know you're at a debate. You're you're playing you're playing politics and people are here to play to play game and he's taking things way too personally. He's got to play the yeah. game. It's a, it's, a, it's a, he's got to play ball. And, and we'll we'll get into Joe Biden in, in, in a second here, but um, Joe Biden definitely struggles with that part. It wasn't good for him. But take nothing away from from Kamala. You know, she uh, went after the, the the top runner and said, "I'm going to attack you on this, this, and this." And unlike Eric Swalwell's attacks about the new generation or whatever, um, Kamala's attacks really landed and they were impactful. And you know. Even after the, the debate, Joe Biden is still, his campaign is still struggling to figure out how we respond to that. So it should some damage. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out in the second debate. Um, I also thought that Mayor Pete had a really good debate. Um, I thought his, he handled his questions well. The question about um, what was going on in his hometown with the shooting of, an, of a man, um, it was almost refreshing to hear politicians say, I messed up. I haven't figured it out. Um, that was clearly practiced by his campaign. He was going to say, he has such big charisma and he, and he seems like such a good person. You actually believe him. You actually believe it. Like, he's like, yeah, I messed up. I have to get better. And I can't talk about it because it's an ongoing investigation, but I need to do better. His answer about China and trade was strong. I think the best part was his answer about uh, how the left can reclaim this religion aspect that has been um, absent from their party for a long time. I, and I, I remember I told you this about, about Buttigieg, but when Swallow was like, Swalwell said during the debate, oh, you should just fire the police chief. Police mm-hmm. chief. You should just fire him. I would have said as, as Buttigieg, like, well, uh, with a temperament and like yours, thank goodness that you're not the chief executive right. of anything. I think, I think Swalwell, Swalwell really... Uh, I did not like him no. in the debate. Um, uh, I mean, uh, but I think I, I agree with you. Buddha just did the right thing about owner, owning the problem, but he is, he is on, on a job interview for president of the United States. Even though the one that we have in the in office right now can't pass a, a basic reading <laughs> test. Um, I mean, Buddha just needs to actually come up with, and I give him a couple, I give him some time, but, he needs to have a good answer on why he's ready um, as a medium-sized city mm-hmm. mayor or town, whatever it is, that he should be in charge of everything else. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of people who are making that vivid arguments, and it's a fair argument. Uh, my response to them every single time is we have a TV personality who is the head of, of the country right now. So any, any Democrat we put in there is going to be better, except for maybe, <laughs> except for maybe Marianne Anderson. Um, any Democrat that we put in there will, uh, will be better. And I, I think it's all about who he surrounds himself with, who his VP is. Um, I'm still very high on uh, people who judge. Um, I, he's one of my top contenders. Um, but uh, very good night for him. He does have a problem with the African-American vote. He's pulling it almost zero. He's, I mean, that's his biggest obstacle. He, he, he's got to convince African-Americans why he should be their candidate. Um, but anyways, uh, those, they, they both did very well. I think Biden and Bernie both struggled. Uh, Biden, you know, the whole busing question, um, Kamala gave him an, an out. 
gave him a very easy out, saying, do you now think, or do you now regret your position on, on, on busing? And all Biden had to say was, I'm involved on the issue, you know, I never was truly against it, but I questioned positions, you know, ever since coming out of the White House, you know, in my entire White House, I've done this, this, and this, and I agree that, you know, that like absolutely every child should have equal access to education or just something that, that, that along those lines. Instead, he was stubborn. He said, well, no, and I didn't do this. And that was your, that was your city council's fault or your city mayor's fault or something. It, just, it was not a good night for him. Um, the con stuff really, really killed him. She played ball and, and he was not ready for it. Nope. And it's going to show, it's going to show. And, uh, I think the next debate really, I mean, it, it's anyone's, it's anyone's nomination. I think now, I think Biden is still, uh, is still ahead, but I think it really hurt his, um, I really think it made people have second chances. It was the first big blow to his candidacy, I think. Yeah, and I, I know there are people out there who, who say, well, we have to get Joe, we have to get uh, Donald Trump out of the White House and Joe Biden can it to do that. And I don't know if, that, if that's true. I mean, Kamala showed her ability to, just eviscerate people who are dictated with her. So um, after that first debate, I'm okay with, with Kamala getting the nomination. I think she can absolutely take down Trump just based on how she took down Biden. But Biden's, Biden's camp needs to respond. So we'll see how, how they do. Uh, and Bernie was, was Bernie. I think, I think uh, the passion for him is just not there anymore. I mean, you know what he's going to say. He says the same shit over and over and over again. It's the, it's the 1%. And, you know, we, That's pretty we, we got to take on the pharmaceuticals and the, we need a revolution. And it's, it's all, it's the same stuff. And it's like, Bernie, that's, that's so 2016. And I'm sorry you didn't get your chance, but you've got to, if you want to be the nominee, you've got to evolve your message a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's stagnant in my uh in, in my point of view, I think it's a, it's a stagnant argument and it's not strong. Josh, are you saying the 1% needs to be more like the 10%? That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, well, I tell you, the revolution is coming for you, Josh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was, did you think that Bernie had a strong performance or not? No, yeah. I agree with you. I think he's, he's, uh, he's um, you know, He's been repeating himself, and Warren has taken his thunder away because Warren is the new exciting thing and, and presenting some stuff. So he has to do a better job, or he's going to stay at that 18% that he's yeah. been at. I think for the past couple of weeks now, he's only gotten 18 to 20% in polling. Yeah, so he, that's his, that's his, seems to be his ceiling right now. And to be seen when candidates start dropping out and who their support comes to. But he's got to really show why he is different this time around and how he competes with the other people who Warren is, is, pro, is just as progressive as he is. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, Marianne Williamson. <laughs> don't even know with her anymore. Marianne was phenomenal. <laughs> Marianne did a great job. Yeah, the fact that she is running for office is disgraceful. Um, this woman is a psychopath. Um, <laughs> I don't even know with her anymore. I, you know, the first president is call New Zealand and shit on them and be like, you know what, you guys suck. America's the best. 
I mean, that's all that you need to know. The first thing she would do, not even the first call she would, she gets to the White House and she goes, give me my phone, get the Prime Minister of New Zealand on how much they suck. Yeah, she she would say, oh, you're on. I want to make America the best for children Ugh. instead of you guys. Like, mm-hmm. like not about, like, so sorry for the tragic shooting that you had or right? anything else. I, I mean, I, again, she's at a debate, but still, like, um, is that really <laughs> what, the first thing you're going to do? Like, you're not going to stop the kids from being put in cages? Nope, nope. she has to call New Zealand. They're the first thing she has to do. So, anyways, um... Yeah, night two, you know, big takeaways is Kamala's way up. Bernie is kind of right there in the middle. He's not really going anywhere. And Biden's campaign is reeling. It's all about how he responds. Debates are in uh, 23 or 24 days. We're going to have the two nights of debate again. It'll be random. We don't know the order yet. Um, But we're going to be looking for Biden to punch back. Uh, Biden kind of got hit. And it's all about how he responds. Does he just kind of try and coast and say, I'm still in the lead in most of the polls. I'm just going to coast and not throw punches. Or does he come after, you know, Kamala or uh, Warren or Sanders or, you know, how does he respond? Um, and then if you're not in the top, you know, you have only at least 10% at this point, you're in pretty bad shape. Uh, you're pretty desperate. So we're talking about, you know, maybe the Castros, Tulsi Gabbards, Tim Ryan, Inslee, the, the DeVazio, Delaney, Swalwell, Bennett, Williamson, Hickenlooper, Gillibrand, Yang, all those campaigns, maybe Castro a little bit. I think it's kind of where it stops. Um, is how do you respond? Um, this is your last big chance because come September, the ante is up. You have to have more uh uh, followers and donors, you have to have more higher in the polls. So the, the, those desperate 10 candidates that I just named, how do you respond? You know, does Marion Williamson threaten to bomb Utah or something crazy? I mean, who's, she could. You really hate Utah. That's what I hear. Um, another question is, who is, who is there a new front runner? I'd say right now you probably have Biden and Kamala are the two big front runners, but who knows? Maybe Cory Booker has a great night. Maybe Elizabeth Warren overtakes Biden. Maybe Bernie falls way back. It's who are the one and two people that are the top strong runners? People seem to think front runners are Kamala, Biden, and Warren. So how do you get to one of those three? If you are one of those three, what do you do to stay at top? Um, last question is who drops out? Whose campaign is in trouble? I, I think uh, John Hickenlooper. Uh, has already had some problems with his campaign. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he drops out, if he makes the next debates. Marianne Williamson clearly has some problems with her campaign. So um, how much longer is she going to be in it? Uh, you know, Swalwell, Delaney, de Blasio, Inslee are all borderline not making their debates. So um, we may start to see the, the field thin ever so slightly after this next uh, debate. Yeah, I think I think we will. The, the threshold for polling is going to go up um, for the, uh, whenever those next ones are, which might be at the end of August or September. They're going to go way up. So if you're not polling at a certain amount um, in qualified polls or you don't have a certain number of donors and, and honestly, they're just they're not going to be them. I mean, with 24 candidates, you're not going to have everyone be at the debates. So they're going to be people, people dropping out. And what we've said on previous podcasts is, you know, a lot of these people are polling at 2%, but as some of the bigger people start to go out 
and not be at the debates and maybe in their campaign, where do where does the support that they had go to? Right. Like, well, maybe Jay Inslee drops out, right? But he's going to endorse somebody at some point. And not that all of his followers are going to go directly to that candidate, but it's probably going to be a strong, if, if Bernie drops out and endorses Warren, his people will probably go to Warren, most of them. I'd say probably 90% of them will go to Warren. So as these candidates start to drop out, it's very important to see where and who they endorse. It's going to be a lot of uh, politicking and backroom deals, unfortunately, because that's how it works. And you have all these people running. I think one thing that will also that we should add is I believe Steve Bullock, um, who is the former, or I guess he's the current governor of Montana or the former, former governor, I believe he's going to make the next uh, debates. I think he hit the, I think he yeah, hit the I 1% think right. in the polls that he needed to hit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, uh, you know, what his kind of entry into the debate is going uh, to be like. So um, He's definitely, I think he's definitely on the stage. So it, it's, I see. Let's see how forceful he is at this yes. July. July. He was, he was very, very angry that he did not make the first debate. So, well, he knew the yeah, rules. He he did this himself. All right. So that's your appetizer. A little bit longer, but a lot to cover. Hopefully, there's some good information there for you. And uh, we'll head to your entree next. So our entree topic today is all about gerrymandering. In the notes that we have for this episode, I put a little vomit emoji because that's how we feel about it. Uh, I feel about it. Wait, There's no, a so lot we, to cover here. We have Go ahead. For, for, for the episode? That's, um, I did not know that. <laughs> Josh is just flying by the seat of his hands. You know, I'm just, I, I have a teleprompter here, and it's raining, and, you know, I can't read a teleprompter properly, so I'm just using that. I know there are notes. That's, well, you're manning the airports in, in 1776. <laughs> 1776. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. So there's a lot of news. You may have seen this in the news about gerrymandering. You're going to have to strap in because we're going we're gonna to go through it all, and it's a little complicated, so just bear with us. So, so the Supreme Court – what did you say? I'm going to say buckle up, make sure that your, that, your, that your seats are in the upright position. So Upright positions. You have to have your trade table stowed now. Imperative. So the Supreme Court recently ruled that it won't strike down partisan gerrymandering, but it is still against racial gerrymandering. You may have seen this stuff in the news. Supreme Court refuses to stop gerrymandering, all that stuff. So if you don't know the difference, good. I didn't really know um, the, the big difference until recently. So here it goes. Gerrymandering is the process where congressional districts are manipulated and drawn to favor one party or class over the other. Every 10 years, state legislatures do this around the country based on the census, where if a state has gained population, it gets more seats. Usually other states have lost population, so they lose representation in Congress because reputation, representation in Congress is based off of the population in your state. Kind of makes sense. The more people you have, the more votes you should get in, in the House of Representatives because yeah, the there are more House, people living there. Not the Senate, but yeah, in the House. Not the Senate. That's correct. The Senate, as the compromise um, for the Constitution, the Senate stays at two so every state has the same power regardless of the size of the state so that 
the, the framers and, and the folks at the delegate convention were concerned that states like Rhode Island would be at the mercy of bigger states like California. Well, at that point, it was New York and Pennsylvania and Virginia. Um, but now, you know, it's still concern, maybe less so because we live in the 21st century, that states like Rhode Island or Wyoming, which is large geographically, but has a small uh, population size, that they would be at the whims of bigger states like California and New York, which have more um, population. Now, since we live in the 21st century, as we all know, maybe we can make the argument that I don't know. Maybe we should always go by uh, population representation. But that's another story. So yeah. state legislatures draw um, the maps for con congressional districts, like where geographically in that state is this representative going to represent? Um, and they use and a lot of states, Democrats do this, but Republicans, I feel like they do this more, um, draw districts in a way that um, favors their voters um, and gets them in more districts and dilutes the population of the opposition parties, whether it's Democrats or any other party. So they have the maximum number of seats that are considered safe um, so they can control the House of Representatives. Right. And that's why you see some of these uh, districts that are so oddly shaped. It's because they're drawing them in such a way that if there's a large, if you're a Republican and you're running and, if, and you're drawing the districts for your state and you know that there are a lot of African Americans that live in this one spot, you may just forfeit that one spot and say, okay, this little circle here is going to be one district and we'll just kind of just know that we're going to lose that one. We can win the seven districts um, yeah. by drawing the shapes in such, a, in, such, in such a way. So that's how you get these weird kind of uh, oddly shaped districts. Yeah, and, that, and then that's gerrymandering. And that's, you know, you're, you're manipulating the district lines to favor your representatives. Okay, so that's gerrymandering. So how does this matter? Racial, gerry racial gerrymandering is, the is, a, is an illegal practice that draws people in districts based on race. And it violates the one person, one vote rule, a.k.a. every person's vote ought to be roughly equivalent to another person's vote in this country. You're saying that doesn't make sense. It doesn't happen now. You're right. It's violated a lot. But the, the courts have and the courts. I'm just telling you the truth. The court, the courts have determined that this practice is based exclusively on race. Um, it's illegal. Right. I agree. Should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but partisan gerrymandering is they just deemed it not illegal. And you're like, well, uh, what's the difference? Um, there's a very, very, very small difference between the two. And the courts basically say that intent, the intention of the districts matter more than the practice. And what I mean by that, if, um, if you intend to racially gerrymander, if you're saying, well, I'm only going to draw people of color in this district um, and they're not spread out evenly um, and there's some documentation of that's the intent, that's illegal. However, if you say I'm going to partisan gerrymander because that's what I want to do and you make it public um, and, um, you know, it could be almost the same thing be because of voting patterns of certain um, types of people in this country. Uh, that's OK. That's what that's what the Supreme Court said. If this still doesn't make sense to you, that's good because it should should make sense. They made the wrong decision at the end of the day, simplifying it. If you intend and you make it clear that your intent is to gerrymander the district based on 
political party affiliation, that's okay. If you if the intent is to say, I want to draw people in color, of color in this district only, that's illegal. Hills, just so I understand, if I'm a member of the GOP and I say that I want to draw the state legislatures so that uh, I get all the black people in one area and all the people in all the, all the, all the other areas, uh, that's illegal. Because like, I, I have made it about race. But if yeah. I say, <laughs> I would have to be stupid enough to publicly say that. However, or put I, it in an email. Which, right. Yeah. However, if I say, oh, it's not based on race, this is just the best way for my party to win the seats, then that's fine. Basically, more or less. That's what the Supreme that Court, is... because the Supreme Court had two maps up there that were really badly drawn, Maryland and North Carolina. And they said, sorry, not a problem. That is beyond stupid. <laughs> it is very stupid. So um, that's the best I think um, we can kind of distill in a very quick way about this. And so what does this mean? So now you kind of have a vague understanding of, all right, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, so what does this mean? Uh, gerrymandering will get worse by the GOP. Um, and maybe some Dems, unfortunately. Um, it will just get very worse because now uh, the courts don't really have the authority to block maps that are really bad. Um, they, just, they, they don't have the authority to do that because the Supreme Court said it's not our job. Um, it dilutes political power in Congress um, because if you, um, you know, you're, you're fashioning districts to... Um, to support certain representatives. Uh, you're not really having fair representation. Um, and third, uh, we need to win legislatures everywhere um, since this is a census year. Um, again, the census is done every 10 years and it determines how many representatives you get because it's the size of the population in your state and also how much money your state gets based on the population and lines are drawn based on that. So that's why the citizenship question is so important, also illegal. The census never mentions that you need to have it's citizens. Very it's very illegal. The census nowhere ever mentions citizens. It says the amount of people living there. So um, if you're thinking, well, why isn't just citizens? That kind of makes sense since we're citizens of this country. It never says that. It's meant to serve a population, not citizenship. Um, and um, that's why the census is so important. But Hills, why do we think... Uh, Trump is so adamant about adding uh, a census question. I have my idea. I think you have your idea, and I'm pretty sure it's probably the same idea. So why do you think Trump is so intent on adding the census question? Well, he's, question? he's intent on adding this because if you only have citizens answer this, and the Obama administration made a, made a lot of strides to try and get everyone documented or undocumented to answer last year's citizen, uh, last decade's census is because if you have only citizens representing the state, certain states will lose population because not as many people are answering as maybe before. So states like New York, bigger states and bluer states like New York, mm -hmm. California, yeah. um, Washington, Maryland, yeah. will all have lower populations, which means they lose seats in Congress, which means there are less Democratic representatives in Congress. Yeah. And there are most likely southern states, which 
you know, I don't know how what their percentage of legal immigration is, but, um, you know, or undocumented peoples are, but uh, they will likely get more seats and thus increase Republican power. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, Trump all about trying in the long term to figure out how can I diminish the Democrats? And the best way to do that is to have fewer of them in Congress. And if you have, if, if the census shows that there are fewer people or fewer citizens or fewer registered citizens in your in your state, then you lose members of the House. And it's silly because um, in these kind of times, people are moving to the city, bigger cities. You know, do we really need a North and a South Dakota? Probably not. But we just have Dakota because they have so few people. It's because they have four senators. <laughs> yeah. California only has two. But now imagine if people in California don't, uh, who are uh, illegals or maybe not citizens or whatever, uh, decide not to answer the census and California loses even more power. Uh, it's all a big power play. Trump does not give a shit about who lives where as long as he can decrease the power of the Democrats. Yeah, and the census question also might make people avoid the census entirely because they're afraid if they are undocumented that it'll come back and they'll get they'll get reported. So um, that's why we need to win state legislatures this year because Democrats will then have control of the state legislatures regardless of the question, of, even if the citizen question doesn't come up, we still get the power to draw the lines of the states. Now, some states are moving towards nonpartisan commissions, which I honestly think should be ha- should happen everywhere, regardless, um, because Democrats gerrymander as well. And I think the practice itself is really, really bad for democracy. So uh, I, I actually support just taking it out of the power of, of, of partisan partisan lines. But anyway, in terms of thinking about Democrats, we need to win legislatures everywhere, because if we don't, that means Republicans draw the lines again like they did in 2010 for another 10 years. So yeah. all this yeah. is very important. And um, if, you, if you're confused, that's okay. Uh, it's a very confusing topic. But basically, you want people to draw the lines of your state the right way so you have better representation in Congress. Yeah. If, if you read the pundit you see on CNN, or it's, it's a win for Trump you can automatically assume it is a loss for the Democrats and it is a loss for democracy. Yeah. Um, if, uh, you know, I was, I had a, I had a family in over the weekend. Um, and, uh, my, my uncle had a, had, had a phrase, um, instead of, uh, MAGA, he wanted to have the phrase, which is get the douchebag out. Um, <laughs> So, uh, the, you know, the, the, I mean, obviously Democrats have to win in 2020, uh, but, it, you know, it goes so much more than just winning the president or the Senate race. You also have to win state legislatures. You have to do everything to take the power away from Trump. Um, and winning state legislatures, getting to draw those districts is so much better for Democrats. And I think, Hillary, you made a really good point is that any political party is going to draw the lines that favor their candidates. That's just, I mean, it's not good politics, but it's what politicians do. I think a nonpartisan commission so that the GOP and the Democrats both can't abuse and screw over uh, people is a great idea. And I, I don't know why people wouldn't be behind that. 
I mean, the GOP wouldn't because they suck. Um, but I, I really don't know why people would not be behind it. It's a really good idea. Well, Democrats wouldn't be behind it because they don't want to lose the power either. But I think it's, it's about long-term. It's about long-term strategizing. If you're taking this out of, if you, you make this some sort of new law and you kind of like lock it down by, you have to change this with the state constitutional amendment, it makes it so hard for the Republicans next time if they probably will take control or whichever opposition party hates people <laughs> like the Republicans do. <laughs> you, it makes it really hard, or even if it's a Democrat who's not very good, um, they come in and they try and change it. It's very hard for that. And it just takes the practice away from politics. And that's what this really should come down to. This is so important. We don't want this to be in politics whatsoever. But in the short term, Democrats are actually much more likely to make nonpartisan voter commissions than Republicans are. Um, You have two states in California that has one. I think Maine has it. I'm not sure, but I think it does. Um, I know California has something like it. And they're, they're much more open to doing those things. So that's why it's important. Um, so we said that the Supreme Court did not rule with us on partisan uh, gerrymandering. However, they did rule with us on the census, kind of. Kind um, of. Kind of. They, I believe they said that, that Trump could not have a question about citizenship on the census, which happens in April. Is that, is that correct? That is correct, as far as I understand. Now, the problem is that the Trump team and Trump officials uh, are saying that uh, they're going to continue to move forward with the citizenship question. Um, Trump may pass an executive order um, about the question. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he can do that or not. Um, but the census, the 2020 census question, or uh, citizenship question, may very well end up on the census, according to uh, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, he thinks that there will be that the question will be on the census. The cooch uh, is what Josh and I call him. Uh, the cooch <laughs> is just saying that I think because he wants to. If he didn't already get the job, he wants a job in the Trump administration. So um, I don't think I actually don't think it will happen. The Supreme Court seemingly said it was not. Uh, the reasoning was not okay. I don't think there's another reasoning, and I think the census is already starting to be printed. I don't think he's going to win on this one, Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's always he always has a way of of pressuring somebody to get what he wants. So, um, okay. So, what should Dems do about gerrymandering? We should not sleep on state legislatures when you vote. When you vote in 2019, um, because you have to vote this year, and when you (laughs) vote next year in 2020, you have to vote for folks down the ballot. You have to. You have to vote for Democrats down the ballot. It is so important wherever you live that Democrats flip state legislatures and give governors the power to also make change and undo things that shitty GOP governors have done. Uh, Second thing, we need to fight for every district in every district. And the candidate for president needs to recognize this. Just because, I mean, there are some districts that may be super hard to win, but we need to make the case to those voters. We need to make the case. The Republican yeah. Party makes the case to all the voters, and they have no business being in some of these districts, but they still try. Yeah. So we need to do that because the, the gerrymandering depends on it. Um, we need to pass nonpartisan commissions so the GOP can't abuse the power and screw Dems and the rest of the people in this country for the future. 
<laughs> and fourth, we need to be very aware that this sense of battle is ongoing and important. We cannot, we can, again, we can't sleep on this thing and let Trump just get his rule some way else. We need to make sure we are on this thing and that we make sure this census gets printed without any sort of citizenship question or something that will deter people who may be undocumented not to fill out the census. Yeah, I think if you're the Dem candidates, um, I think it's really important that you have a unified message for, for you know, for talk, talk about healthcare, talk about, you know, the, the important things that people care about. And that's how you win down ballot races. You also can't have people who, you know, vote for, for, for Trump and then like, oh, but I'm trying to be, you know, independent or blah, blah, blah. And therefore, you know, you know, my state uh, rep has been office for, you know, six terms and my life's been pretty good here the past however many years. So let's vote again. No, no. You need to be strong for the Democrats, you need to put, you know, aside the idea of being independent, vote down ballot for, for Dems because this is important. And winning in 2020, as you get Trump out, you have to stop all of his little tiny schemes um, as, you know, in, in advance. It's not just enough to vote Trump out. You have to uh, get rid of all of his ideas, too. Yeah. You know, Josh, I'm, I'm going to pitch a really crazy idea. I was just actually thinking about this. Okay. Dem should adopt that or just like gerrymandering and stuff is not making America great again. Like, like use as bad as it is, like use Trump's rhetoric to your advantage. Right. What if we went yeah. out to these these Midwestern states and say um, this is actually really bad for America? Like America is like. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a communication specialist, but um, using his rhetoric about um, you want America to be greater and stronger and supporter troops. I don't know. Um, like we should have these commissions like yeah. this is not good for you and your family. Um, it's impacting you and your family each and every day. Make sure this this gets done. And honestly, I think, again, his his 40 percent of voters, they don't think clearly. So. Uh, you got to you got to get on their level. And I think using it's it's not this is not an easy thing to communicate to people, but I think you could do it super simply. And honestly, most people that 40 percent don't need this complicated way. No. Um, they just need it very simple. And unfortunately, yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah, I think if you just, you know, you sit them down and you just tell them, look, you're not being represented fairly. And here's why. You break it down on a simple level, and you say, and you put little facts to them, and just say, you know, your uh, representative does not truly know who you are, and it's not enough just to get them out. You have to get people out who, you know, make this choice. I met a lot of Trump and Midwest voters who are not educated, not involved, don't know that, you know, they have a state legislature who is responsible for drawing these maps. I think just telling them telling them what the deal is uh, can be very eye-opening. So. It's all about the branding. You don't even have to call them nonpartisan redistricting commissions because no. it's not that's not sexy. You can call them freedom no. commissions. Freedom um, <laughs> commissions. We, ah. we are part of the freedom commission. Well, that sounds a little um, dictatorship, but we can workshop that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> freedom <commission>. meetings. Freedom, <laughs> li- freedom lines. 
oh my god, if you posted a long Iowa or Nebraska uh, freedom meeting tonight at 7 p.m., it sold out instantly. <laughs> you would have the most uh, participation in a democratic process. <laughs> <laughs> you should, anyone should start their meeting with freedom, right? <laughs> freedom election. Oh. <laughs> Freedom election 2020. Freedom, freedom election. Oh my God. Hills, I think, you know, I think that's a, a great uh, idea. I, I fully support that. Actually, every candidate should start their meeting with, with, with this phrase. Start, start your meeting. Why are there no, why are there no knock knock jokes about America? Because freedom brings. Because freedom rings uh, and wants you to go to a freedom meeting. If you start all your meetings with that with that, that question, I guarantee the mm-hmm. will skyrocket. The three course politics guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> I think Maybe. I think on that note, if you agree with me, I think uh, we wrapped up this entree pretty well. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> okay, so, uh, we got we got some good dessert for you. Coming next. So, welcome back. Uh, this is your dessert, and in case you did not know, this is a big day. I call it Championship Sunday, uh, because this morning at 11 o'clock, we had the U.S., uh, well, we had the Women's World Cup between the U.S. and Netherlands. If you haven't watched uh, the game, this is your chance now to stop, because I'm going to spoil it for you. Spoiler, three, two, one. Team USA with a big 2-0 win to the uh, back-to-back World Cup champions. Uh, they now have won the World Cup four times, uh, and there is absolutely no question that they should be paid just as much as the men's team. So, I'm so surprised that they haven't already gotten paid as much by this point. Yeah, they're clearly a much better team. There are a number of players on the women's team that I was like, yeah, they would, inc- they would improve the men's team greatly. Um, so... Great all-around uh, tournaments. Uh, you know, the U.S. never trailed in the tournaments. Uh, up until the last game, they had scored all their goals before, like, the 12th minutes. I mean, absolute killer performance. You know, Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath, Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, uh, you know, just great. Julie Ertz, great, great team all around. Um, I especially liked how um, <clears throat> during the tournament, uh, someone asked uh, Megan Rapino if she was going to tour the White House. And I believe her exact words were, fuck now, um, which is great. And then Trump responded with, well, you know, you haven't even won the tournament yet, so maybe you should win the tournament before you uh, talk about uh, going to see the White House. And they won the tournament, and Trump has not tweeted out, to this, at this moment, I believe he has not tweeted out a congratulations to the U.S. women's team. Instead, he's talking about Sleepy Joe Biden. Um, so, you know, shouldn't be surprised that Trump does not care about uh, the U.S. W- women's team. So, let me. I'm checking right now to see. Ah, uh, nope. He he did tweet it out. It was it was an hour ago. He said, "Congratulations to the U.S. women's soccer team on winning the World Cup. Great and, and exciting play. America is proud of you all." So. Oh, good, good. He he. I'm seeing a lot of stuff not about, oh, it was like a quick tweet. He kind of like called that out. It was like a little quick one, like, oh, I'm going to get this out because I'm going to get um, 
great and exciting play. America's yeah. proud of you all. Oh, there's, he speaks for the America. <laughs> there's, there's no chance that Donald Trump was watching that game going, oh, man, you know what? I would describe this play as great and, and exciting. There's no chance that that happened. Uh, he had to get that out because he started tweeting about the uh, census. So, yeah, good. That was that was like a little a little side sidebar. But yeah, honestly, um, I I wasn't able to watch the full game this afternoon, but um, they've been they've been spectacular the entire time. They've out outshined everyone. They outclassed everyone. Um, and again, what you said, it's it's beyond time that they're actually paid equally, regardless of whether women's sports or not, uh, get the, gets the ad money. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Pay pay people equally. They're doing yeah. they're doing better than the men even so they shouldn't even get more than the men but honestly like <laughs> pay pay them equally like it's 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 outrageous that they're not paid um, equally and that any woman is not paid equal to a man not just them the uh, I I saw this great phrase uh, earlier on Twitter it said um, that why is it that the expectation for the women's team is that it, it, it's a failure unless they win the World Cup for the men team it's a success if they make the World Cup. I mean, that's, that's all you, you, you need to know about the disparity that exists between the, the two teams. So, yeah, uh, you can support the men's team and support the women's team. I mean, you don't have to choose. You just support, you know, the U.S. soccer teams, as uh, we do. But um, anyways, that was your uh, dessert. Uh, Hill, are you ready to give them the answer to the pre-dinner shot? Yes, I am. So the question of your pre-dinner shot was, who is Elbridge Jerry? He was the fifth vice president in the United States in 1810. Before that, he was the governor of Massachusetts. He oversaw the Massachusetts legislature, shaped new state senate districts, and a local Federalist newspaper, which was a political party at the time, um, compared um, this, the new state senate district, one of the new state senate districts, to a salamander. And they called it a gerrymander. Um, as a way of satirizing the the way that they did the district, so he is the father of gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is named after Governor Jerry. And wow! Yeah, yeah. Now you know. Now you know. Now you can share that little factoid with all your friends at, at the parties. Ask them who, who Elbridge Jerry is, and they won't know. And you'll feel super smart. So, and then everyone will say, "Please give me more." Uh, please give me more tips and you're going to have to listen to more podcasts from us. There you go. And people will say, where did you learn that, that factoid from? You'll say, Three Course Politics Podcast. Give it a listen. <laughs> give it a little listen. Speaking about that, stick with us. We got one more thing coming right up. Before you go, thank you for listening, first of all. Also, outro music is by Brett Hillsberg. But before you go, we have a couple of things we're going to ask you to do. Super easy. One, if you enjoy listening to us uh, chat and you enjoyed what you're listening to, please hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening to. So you, you can get your episodes in, in your podcast app regularly when they come out. It helps. So please subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. That's the first thing. Second thing is to spread, uh, help spread the word. If you enjoy this, please tell friends about it uh and if you can please share this episode on social media twitter facebook instagram uh whatever and whatever uh social media app you use uh please tell your friends share the episode title help us get the word out there 
Yeah, and if you want to even do even more, you even can donate. More. You can donate. If you go to the info section on this episode, um, it's usually if you swipe one way while you're looking at the, the episode on your phone, um, you can donate to us with a monthly donation of your choice. We also, depending on how many listeners we get, we may have some ads coming into the episode as well. So that's another way you could do it. Some some real ads, not not the fake ads that we did in episode two. The real, <laughs> real ads. ads. So um, if you have any, any questions, please email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. That's threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Uh, please email us with any questions. We would love to do a listener bad question. Um, and if you can't answer a question on the show, we will definitely uh, respond to you. Uh, but those are the three things. Subscribe, spread the word, uh, maybe maybe donate if you're a real good Samaritan, and email us those questions at thickhorsepolitics at gmail.com. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll have another pod to you in uh, the next two weeks or so. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it.